Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. So I found out that it's not a scheduling mistake that I'll be preaching this Sunday and next Sunday. <laughs> God's allowing me the privilege by allowing our leaders to close their eyes and say, I pick you to preach. And so, um, so I, I'm thankful uh, that for the opportunity to, to preach two sermons in a row uh, this Christmas season. So we're going to go on a journey together, my sermon series, <laughs> first ever. Um, so the... <laughs> Hopefully not the last ever. Um, so the sermon series is titled, Fix It Jesus. Fix It Jesus. And um, the subtitle is, It's Bigger Than the Baby. It's Bigger Than the Baby. Now let me explain. So there's a popular term, Fix It Jesus. is memes, bumper stickers. People say, Fix It Jesus. And so for us, we often want God to fix whatever it is that we need him to fix. Without looking at the fact that he already fixed everything, being that he is Jesus, Lord of all and all things, the creator of all things. And so everything has been fixed. He's redeemed us back to him. Amen. Amen. And so the way that we're going to phrase fix it, Jesus today is fix the way that we see him. Fix the way that we see him. Because I don't know if you're like me, but growing up. Every year, Christmas time comes, and then we've got the baby doll in the manger, in the nativity scene, and you see Jesus as this small little being. And we know that he denied himself all of his, his glory to come into this small infant, but let's not forget that he was fully God and fully man. And let's not look at him as soft or small, ever. We just thank God for becoming a child and doing what we couldn't do, living the perfect life and dying the, dying the death that we deserve. So there's a big, big switch here. Fix it. Jesus really means fix me. <laughs> fix the way that I see him. And so we think about Emmanuel, that phrase, God with us in this season, which we should think about this all the time. But the reason, it's the reason why we celebrate the Christmas holiday, the only reason. And so this Sunday, next week, we'll gather together at, with great anticipation and celebration, celebrating Jesus, the risen king, but what he did on this earth, coming in the form of a, a baby and, and growing up and having to deal with life like us. He became like us to do what we couldn't do. So who is he? He's fully God, fully man. He Live the life we should have lived, and this is the good news, the gospel. Gospel is not just a music genre, but it's the good news. The good news that God became man in Christ Jesus. And when he became man, he lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserve to die, because Romans 6.23 says the, the wages of sin is death. But then he broke the curse by raising himself from the dead, proving that he is the son of God. He is a part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's the God we serve, and that's the foundation of our faith. Anything outside of that, you're just here for, for the fellowship and the community. But what we're really here, the foundation, what we're rooted in is the power of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not to mention throughout all of the, what he was doing, we were helpless and hopeless. Sin came in the world through man, and we were hellbound. But Jesus fixed everything. So the main objective of this sermon is to make Jesus bigger 
to me and to you. Let him be magnified. Let him be glorified. Let us joyfully sing praise to the greatest of the great, the king of the kings, the Lord of the lords. I remember when I was a kid and the popular movie came out. I think it was called Kazam. (laughs) And then another movie came out. I think it was Man of Steel. And then the Lakers are winning the championship. Shaq was all that to a young buck like me. And so we used to watch him on TV, watch him in the movies, see him in the games. We're like, man, Shaq, I just want to meet Shaq only to get the opportunity. My father brought me into the Lakers locker room one day, and I got to meet Shaq, and he was huge. (laughs) And I was like, man, I I thought it was all good. Now I'm scared. (laughs) He looked so small on the screen. I mean, he was big, but he looked like not dangerous on the screen. Only to realize this guy is larger than what my mind had thought about. Maybe you're like someone else, definitely not me, where you were talking noise in the cafeteria, talking about somebody and turning around, man, you're not going to do. I don't have that testimony, but if that's yours, God bless you. Look what he did for you. (laughs) Praise God. But you had a moment, and we've all had a moment of some sort, where something was way bigger than what we thought. Maybe the check engine light was on, and then you went to the car dealership or, or, you know, the place where you service your car, and you realized it wasn't just an oil change that you needed. (laughs) This is big. Whatever it is, that's my goal, for us to have that experience here in Jesus. That I, I just looked at him as, as the baby. I just looked at him as Jesus is my homeboy, which you should have never called him your homeboy. He's nothing like your homeboy. Your homeboys do things that he doesn't do. He's nothing like your homeboy. Just wanted to let y'all know that. Go home and burn the t-shirt if you bought one back in the day. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than anything we can imagine. So the goal is to make him bigger. Pastor Sean Clemens preached uh, on Wednesday night about the announcement of Jesus and his coming kingdom. He quoted Isaiah 9, 6, saying that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. But there's an incredible authority and perfect counsel that then leads us to marvel at his genius. It's not just wonderful like, it's the most wonderful time. No, 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 no. It's not, as Pastor Sean said, when his daughter comes up to him with, with, with crayons and, and paper, and he says, oh, that's wonderful, sweetie. Yes, you can say that. But understand the wonderfulness, that's a word, the great wonder of Jesus is way bigger than anything we can imagine. The wonder is breathtaking. It's breathtaking. If he was to stand right here on this stage, we would fall to our faces and say, we're not worthy. You are wonderful. We are struck with amazement. You are incredible. You are big. And then we deal with sin, and sin makes us wander away from his wonder. We can't allow Christ to become small to us. We can't allow the baby to be the only image in our mind. And I'm not saying to not enjoy the nativity scene. I love it. But what I'm saying is 
understand in the Christmas season, we, got, we have to look at God as the great I am, the ruler of the universe, the massive, huge being that created everything, you and me, and said, I'm going to d- deny all of my power and glory, all of my freedom, and put myself in this predicament for you. In other words, what's wrapped up in that baby is the greatest power in the, in, in the history of all histories in the universe, just big, big, big. I didn't have the, the right words there, so I just figured big, big, big would be. <laughs> just think big and then bigger than whatever you thought. So we're going to focus on Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to look at a few scriptures. First, we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Then we're going to look at uh, verses 21 and 22. We're going to look at those separately. There's some passages in between those, but we're going to look at the top ones and the bottom ones, then we'll get in the in-between. Chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's read that one more time. He's delivered us, I'm going to read this version. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Verse 21, 22, skip down. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, reproach before him. Let me read that one more time. And you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I think it's a good time to worship. Can we just, whatever you do, however you do it, can we just worship the Lord? Hallelujah, God. You didn't have to do this. You didn't have to. You did it because you wanted to. You denied yourself. Look at these words that jump off of the page. Delivered. Who's glad that they've been delivered? Even more so than delivered because delivered means we got outside of what we were heading towards. But then transferred means that we got transferred into his kingdom. We've We've been transferred into something new. Now we're in the covenant. Look at another word in 14, redemption. We've been redeemed. Forgiveness, we've been forgiven. Who's happy they've been forgiven? Reconciled, made right, holy and blameless. We don't deserve that. Made us holy and blameless, even above reproach. What we just experienced inside of those two passages is what we call a doxology. A moment where we pause and we just worship. We just praise. We say, God, you are amazing. I have to just, just put my Bible down for a second and just walk the room. Anybody ever had to walk the room for a little bit? You know what I'm saying? You're reading it. Okay, hold on. Hold on, God. Hold on. Hold on. I got to just move. Sometimes when I pray, I just got to stand up and walk. You know, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm just, God, I just can't st- stand still because this is too much. So now we're going to take what we just experienced and then go in and and really look through and study what Paul did, which is what we did, but he did it on a more 
educational standpoint. <laughs> he did it on a whole another level because when Paul, as Pastor Brett always tells us, when Paul gets in his charismatic mode, he starts he starts pushing out eloquent words and phrases that make more sense than anything that you and I could ever. We just say, hallelujah. Paul says, you are the king, immortal, eternal. Whoa, whoa. I mean, that would be a great small group to be in. <laughs> and so we're going to go into those passages and really understand what's happening here and why we need to see Jesus like this for the rest of our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your power. Thank you for your glory. Lord, I pray that in this very hour, we will see you in a way that we've never seen you in our entire lives. It doesn't matter if we've known you for 50 years. It doesn't matter if we just got saved yesterday. Lord, we want to see you magnified, glorified, lifted up in a higher place in our minds and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 15, we go inside of the sandwich. Paul starts with this, 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Let's pause there. Thrones, dominions, authorities, that sounds like everything to me. And that sounds like as high as you can go to me on this earth. And that sounds like anything that's coming at you that's even of a high authority, high dominion, must still submit and bow down to Jesus because he created everything. Therefore, next time you get into a situation, there is nothing that can trump you. There's nothing that can crush you. There's nothing that can take your purpose away from you because he created it. The masters of this world have to submit to the master of the universe. Then he goes on to say, and he is before all things in 17. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the church, 18. He's the head of the body, the church. So let's break this down. Paul was prompted to write this letter because of all of the craziness that was happening in the church at the time. So Colossians, the, 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 the church of Colossae, these folks were radical, loving Jesus. He thanks him. He thanks them in the beginning of the, of the book for saying, man, your faith is, you're going strong. You're doing what you need to do. But he knew that there was something rising up in the camp that was not conducive to what God had really ordained and, and commissioned them to do or to be. And that was two things of many. There was a lot of craziness that was happening in their church, a lot of heresy going on. But two major things that we want to focus on today, number one is that they were the, the deity and supremacy of Jesus was under attack. So people in the church, they, they, they were brought into the church believing in Jesus, but then there was, there was some sort of lie that, that crept into to their, their camp, and it was saying, Jesus might not be God, he might be a messenger, an emissary, he might be a helper. And so Paul said, wait a second, I've got to write this because this is the foundation of our faith that Jesus is God. And we can't allow the church to go another day without understanding that. Then the second thing is this, there was this elitism. There was this secret knowledge. If you could go deeper in your philosophy and then it turned into Gnosticism and some weird stuff, if you could go deeper into there, then you'll be able to ascend higher than everybody else. And that's when you'll experience the godness, that God realm. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Why? 
because he's up here. He's above all. And so I don't care how high you mentally ascend. I don't care how good you are. I don't care what you do. He is always Lord of all. He's always above all. Now, this is the most unique part, is that this passage, this, this letter was written in 62, 60 or 62 AD, meaning these people were alive, some of them were alive when Jesus was crucified and resurrected, meaning some of these people actually saw Jesus with their own eyes, and this problem was happening in their church. We're 2,000 years plus past this time. What else has been creeping into the church? And so for us, we need to allow ourselves to be mindful and knowledgeable of the power of God, the promise of God, and who he is, who he is the identity of God, the ability of God, so that we never get confused. Don't let anybody come to you. Peter said, always have a defense for the hope that is within you. Don't let anything that you read, see, or hear take away from the fact and the reality that Jesus is Lord. So in this, Paul mentions seven unique characteristics of Christ. A few that we'll look at today. First being that he is supreme. He's the image of God, the firstborn over creation, the creator of the universe. And so we'll talk about that and then we'll end with him being the head of the church. So let's talk about the image of the invisible and how that relates to the Colossians and then how that relates to us. He's the image of the invisible God, meaning he's the exact reflection of God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is so critical because these are the people who were believing and hoping for God to come on earth. They knew that a Messiah was promised. So they, they were looking for something. And maybe, as I was talking to Pastor Sean in the green room a couple minutes ago, maybe, you got to keep it real, maybe there was, there was a belief that God was supposed to be big, large, strong, powerful, this great ruler. And so they saw Jesus and they were like, that's probably not it. And so Paul's writing this to fix it, to fix their mind, to say, no, 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 you're looking at the appearance, but I'm telling you about the reflection of God that was demonstrated through his son, Jesus. That's why Jesus said in John 14, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. Christ's supremacy is first shown in his relationship with God, the father. And Christ is the perfect representation of God's nature on earth. Hebrews 1.3, I love this. It says, and I'm not going to add anything to this verse. So I'm just going to read this verse and we're going to go to the next point because me adding would make no sense. It wouldn't even help it. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The only thing I can add to that is let's read it again. He is the radiance of the glory of God, Jesus the exact imprint of God's divine nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let's just say amen. amen. Go to the next point. <laughs> He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, this could be confusing to some because how can the one who created be the firstborn? Right? That would be confusing. Only to look at it through the westernized civilization that we have to say firstborn just meaning the first child. But let's zoom back. Let's talk about the benefits of being the firstborn in the Bible. The firstborn was the one of prominence, the one of priority. The firstborn was the one set apart. And so he is the firstborn. But I want to go even deeper and look at the hypostatic union, which means that God is fully God, fully man at the same time. A hundred percent. 
God, when he, was, when, when he came into this earth as Jesus, he was 100% a man, a male, a human. At the same exact time, 100% God of the universe, magnified, glorified, incredible, wonderful counselor, all of that, God. At the same time, you're trying to think it through right now, but stop, because it won't work. <laughs> you're trying to make sense of it, just stop and say, amen. If God, by the way, if God can be reasoned in your mind and you can figure out who he is and how he is, then he can't be God. Because if you can figure all of God out, then what's the point? So in that hypostatic union, I believe, as I've heard from another elder, Elder J.C. Sherrod, that he's the firstborn of the new birth. He's the firstborn of salvation. The inheritance of salvation is his first because of what he did on the cross. None of us were perfect. And so when he got to the cross, he did what we couldn't do. Meaning he was the first person to stand in the gap and say, it is redeemed, death is done. So he is the first child of eternal life through his human side. Does that make sense? I hope it does. It might not. Either way, he's still Lord. He's the firstborn of the new birth. Revelation 1.17, he says, he says, I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. He says in the beginning of that, verse 17, I am the first and the last. Meaning, it's all encompassed in him. He has power. There's rights of the firstborn. There's a great true inheritance that he has. He's the first in position, and he is top-ranked. He, he holds the weight of glory. He is the supreme. There is nothing above him, nothing beyond him. There's nothing that goes past him, around him, behind him. You know we've all tried to go around God. Maybe he won't see me. Maybe he'll notice it. He sees you because he ordained that. <laughs> he knew what you were going to do. He's right here waiting for you. What a powerful God we serve. I feel like there's like 18 different moments in this sermon where we can just stop and just keep on worshiping. By the way, I think we need to get into a habit of just worshiping all the time. We don't need a worship team to worship. You know that, right? You don't even need a song to worship. You don't, you don't need a phone to worship. You don't need to play anything on your iTunes or your Google Play. You don't need any of that. All you need to do is decrease yourself, surrender, acknowledge that you are not what you should be, nor are you him. And then allow him to be magnified and glorified in, his, in your head and in your heart. And I believe the more that we worship, the more that we change. So we say, fix it, Jesus. No, no, no. We, we need him to fix us. Because that situation that you're going through isn't the end all. It's not even the biggest of big. The biggest is that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so if we look through the lens of our salvation, then everything else is informed from that. We live from salvation, not for comfort, you know, a, a comfortable life. Then he says he's the creator. Verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Growing up, I, I couldn't understand 
this passage because Jesus isn't mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, but only until you go into John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made. Meaning that Jesus, everything that was made and created was made through Jesus. In other words, he was right there at Genesis 1. Hi. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we back up, and we look at these two things. Number one, for by him all things were created. He made everything, but then also things were created through him. Why were they created by him, through him, and then to him? Because at the end of the day, The entire purpose of our creation, our reality, what we have today, is our fellowship with Christ. God created a garden of Eden, a place of perfection for fellowship with mankind who he created. We sinned, we got away, and then he pulled us back. I got a promise for you, Abraham. Then we kept sinning, then he pulled us back. I've got a promise for the next generation, next generation, next generation. At the end of the day, as you look through the 66 books of the Bible, it's just God saying, come back, fellowship, relationship, come back, fellowship, relationship. We just keep on running. Only until the point where he says, you know what, forget about it. I'm coming. I'm coming. Because I know, I know they can't get away from this relationship. I know you, everything else is good, a word, a burning bush, those things are incredible. But Jesus coming into the earth in the form of man, becoming flesh, becoming what we couldn't be, and then saying, I'm wrapping my arms around you. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you sound like. I don't know what you've done in your, I I know what you've done in your past. I don't care what you've done in your past. I'm laying it down and I'm, I'm shedding my blood for you. That's the relationship. True love is sacrifice. And so what a God that we serve, because if you're like me and you're kind of shady, kind of a jerk every now and then, but I fight this thing, you know, we're sanctification. I'm just being honest, you perfect Christians. If you're like me, if you're like me, (laughs) you get crossed once or twice. Hey, I'm done. Delete the phone number. I'm not full of that. Hey, you hang out with such and such? No, I don't even, you know, I don't fool with him no more. That's the way I would do it. But I know you guys, <laughs> I know y'all are way different than me. You say, oh, yeah, another time. Oh, another time. Oh, another time. Just keep on because I'm like Jesus. Okay, I haven't been perfected yet. Let me just keep it 100 for you. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, thank God he's not Jared. Let's all say Amen. <laughs> And God is so gracious, so merciful that he created us because we are inside of that everything, you know. He created us by himself, for himself. We went away. He brought us back to himself, through himself. By himself, for himself, then redeemed us through himself, to himself. That's love right there. That's real love right there. That's real love, because that's not just, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my cheek. That's, I'm going to go die for the person that just offended me. By him, for him, through him, to him. Jesus is everything. He made everything. 
He then reconciled everything so that we could have everything in him who is everything. Then 17, he's before all. It says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Before all things and all things hold together, meaning he is primary. He is the first in all things. Though he's made all things, he is first. He stands right there before anything else as God. There was nothing before him. Let's play this game. Try to think that one through. Wait, what was before him? Nothing. Well, what was there? Him. For how long? Forever. What's going to be after him? Nothing. Him and us forever. He's everything. And if we're in him, then we're still in there because that's everything. Try to work that one out. Good time to just say, you're, amen, amen, you're God. I worship you. Then provision. In him, all things hold together. He works all things together. Why? Because everything, he's around everything. It's something about him being omnipresent. It's something about him having the ability to be behind you, with you, and before you at the same time. When you woke up this morning, he was there when you woke up. He was in your car to ride with you. And he was at the seat that you're sitting in waiting on you. (laughs) And he's in your car waiting on you after you leave here. And he's at the house waiting for you too. He's everywhere. (laughs) raise your hand if you try to run I ran for a little bit but it's like you're not fast enough and even if you were fast he's at the destination at the finish line (laughs) mind blown (laughs) Ephesians 1 we talk about him being above all in verse 18 he is the head of the body the church. We'll stop right there. He's the head of the body, the church, above all. He's the God of creation, and he's the head of the church. The God of creation and the head of the church. Don't allow him to be the God of creation and not the head of the church. Don't allow him to be the head of the church and not the God of all creation. Meaning, don't allow yourself to play church on Sunday, and he's Lord here, and then when you walk outside those doors, he's not Lord anywhere. Then on the flip side, don't allow yourself to allow to, to, to see him as Lord over your life outside. Oh, but I don't want to serve. That takes too much time. I don't want to tithe. I don't want to say hello to that person. I don't want to be here. The traffic's crazy. I got to get up out of here real quick. No, he's God in here. Don't run. Don't run. I know that hurts because someone's like, man, I was going to leave during your prayer at the end. I see you. But he's God of the church. So serve him as God as the church in the church. And serve him as God when you leave the church. Let him be God over everything. He's above all. Ephesians 1. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. We cannot ascend above him. We cannot bypass him. We cannot run from him. The reality is God is God 
the Lord of the universe, the creator, the magnificent, the wonderful, the eternal, the immortal. Why do we say eternal, immortal? Because eternity, those that are eternal mean that they have no beginning and no end. Those that are immortal have a beginning, but they don't have an end. Jesus is both. Try to wrap your head around that one. He is before everything and he's at the end of everything. He is eternal, but then immortal. He allowed himself through the hypostatic union to be born as a man in flesh. And so he had a start date. Jesus, uh, you know, when when Jesus came into the earth as a baby, he had a start date, but then he continued to live on and he will forever live on. So he's eternal and immortal at the same time. This is science. (laughs) And I love science. Science science points to God. Because the more we discover science, the more we say, wow. The more I read my Bible, I say, wow. Same thing. Just put God on the end of it. He's the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. He, He joins those two walls together. God, man. He brings it all together as the king, the pinnacle, the great I am. Jesus in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And think about this as we get into this holiday season. All of that that we just discussed, all of his majesty, his glory, his wonder, his splendor, his greatness, his big, 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 all of that. And he said, I'll be a child. If you have children or if you've seen a child, you know that that's not much of a strong person. Not much of a powerful person. They might have a strong will, but they don't have much power. They've got to grow into that. He allowed himself to do that and be that. But even when he became that, he gave that up on the cross. He gave it up twice. He gave up all of his glory and his splendor to be a a, a child. And then that body, he grew up and and became the man that God uh, God had planned uh, for him to be in the hypostatic union. And then died on the cross, gave that up again. What kind of love is this? It's enough that he came down, even more so he died for. That's the God we serve. So this Christmas holiday, let's allow God to be bigger than he's ever been in your mind and in your heart. I mean, magnified, glorified, lifted up. Let him be so big that you act right this Christmas season. Let him be so big that you stop lying this Christmas season. Let him be so big that you're not going to cheat. Let him be so big. Oh, man, it got quiet. We said cheat. Okay, let him be big for it. Let him be so big that even the thing that you're trusting him for, you say, I know he's going to do it because he's huge. Let him be that big. Let him be that big. Let him be so big that even when you try to articulate in your prayer, you just get on your face and say, I don't even know what to say because you're so big, God. And you know what? Whatever you do, even if it's not what I want, I don't care. I'm just glad that I know the big God that you are. If we allow this to be the mindset of the church, what type of impact will we have on the world? A lot of times we pray, let the church be the church. But we're talking about ability when we pray that prayer. I know we are. Let the church be in the community. Let the church influence the government. Let the church do this. Let the church do that. But I'm saying ability, cool, that's coming. Identity, let the church be the people of Jesus. Let the church be the people that surrender themselves and say, God, you are all powerful. You are glorified, magnified, lifted up. I decrease so that you can increase and allow that to be the church. 
And to tell you the truth, I said this in the first service. I believe that we're going to win the city. I believe it. I don't even know what that looks like, but I see it. I, I can feel it, and I know it's coming. But even if we weren't going to win the city, God be God, God be glorified, I'm satisfied with what I got right now. Even if it's all over, if I die tomorrow, God is on the throne, he is glorified, magnified, lifted up. Now, I believe if we act that way, think that way, the city, we're going to win the city. He comes first. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your power. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for magnifying yourself. Lord... We repent right now. Repenting means to turn away. Lord, we turn away from the small thoughts that we had about you. We turn away from the, the, the incorrect thoughts that we had about you. We turn away and we repent for the sin of calling you something that you're not, of thinking that you're something that you're not. And we surrender our lives, we surrender ourselves right now and say, God, be glorified, be lifted up. We praise you and we thank you for your power and your glory. Regardless of what, you're, what you've done or what you will do, we acknowledge right now who you are. The creator, the firstborn, above all, before all, through all, in all. Lord, you are God and you are big.